When there is sadness in our life, God promises to comfort us. In fact, he says he sent the Comforter, capital C, who is the Holy Spirit, so we would not remain in sadness because as Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 told us last week, it is the joy of the Lord that brings us strength. If you're finding as a believer that you just don't have the strength for another day. You don't have the strength to get out of bed. You don't have the strength to push forward another week. You don't have the strength to do what God has called you to accomplish in your life. I can tell you at least one, if not the major problem in your life. The problem is you don't have the joy of the Lord in your life. Because if you had the joy of the Lord, you would have the strength. One results in the other. If you had the joy of the Lord, you might be tired, but there will be strength to get out of bed. If you had the joy of the Lord, you may not look forward to what this week brings, but you'll have the strength to confront what this week brings. If you have the joy of the Lord, it's not that there won't be issues in your life. You'll have the strength to confront those issues, to get through those issues, and to be successful on the other side of those issues. It was the joy of the Lord that strengthened you to be who God wants you to be, to do what God wants you to do, to go where God wants you to go. I told you that the vision that God gave me for this month was strengthen in place. First time in a while that God has given me such a vision. When I first came pastor in 2016, I didn't say it in that way, but I told the church when they voted me in as lead pastor, I said, my desire, my heart, my vision for this church is that they find healing. I said, there's nothing really major I want to change. There's nothing major that needs to change except for the personal success and healing of the individual member of this church. And we were in that state for a good two to three years. But since then, God has given our church new goals, new places to be, new places to go, new things to accomplish. And then there's 2023. And God has not laid any such thing in front of me that would be a major move that we haven't already discussed, that we weren't already moving towards, that we hadn't already decided on. Nothing new, major. And I believe that is because if not next year, soon after, I'm, I'm thinking 2024. Now, God doesn't give me years in advance, but I think there is something new and something big coming in the very new future. And it is time for us to take a break, you might say, from lifting those heavy weights. Give your muscles, your spiritual muscles, a chance to recover, to strengthen, so we are prepared for what comes next. And so in a continuation of the message that God gave me last week, I'm going to continue in Matthew 5, and that is the idea of overflow. So if we want the joy of the Lord... And if we want to be strong, we must have the joy of the Lord. Then my question to you is this. How much of the joy of the Lord do you want? A little bit? I mean, a little bit's better than none, right? We all at least want a little bit. But what if I told you you could have more than a little? What if I told you you could have more than enough? You had more joy than you need. How would you like to be in that spiritual condition? Not just a little bit of joy, right? Right? Not just enough joy. How would you like to have more joy than is needed so that it is overflowing? That's where I want to be. So then the obvious next question is, how does one have an overflow of joy in their life? Well, there's other passages I could turn to. 
Other truths I could give you, the closer you are to Christ, the more joy of Christ will be in your life. The closer connection you have with Christ, the more you will see Christ. The more you see Christ, the more you will see his joy, and the more you see his joy, the more you'll experience his joy. I could tell you that the more you serve Christ, and the more you see Christ uh, using you in the lives of others, the more joy God will bring. There are other ways, but today, I decided to choose Matthew 5. They're called the Beatitudes or blessings. If you want the joy of the Lord, a great way to receive it is through the blessings of the Lord. Now, you're going to find that these are not financial blessings. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel this morning where I'm going to tell you that if you follow these steps, and there are eight points, individual points, no sub points, just eight different statements that I'm going to make through the Beatitudes, eight statements this morning, and we'll be done. There is, there is not a financial promise of prosperity if you recognize and embrace these eight statements as given in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. But there is a spiritual blessing, and the spiritual blessing will most definitely result in joy. Because as you are blessed spiritually, you can't but help have spiritual joy, which then results in strength. Physical strength, by the way, not just spiritual strength. You want an overflow of joy? Get an overflow of blessings. You want an overflow of blessings? Then take all eight of these statements. One or two of them would be a little. Three to five of them might be enough. All eight of them, you are going to be overflowing with blessing, with all eight. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to self-evaluate, critique the inner heart. How many of these eight statements have you already embraced? How many of these eight statements are already in your life, thriving in your life? When we're done, I'm going to challenge you to balance the statements thriving in your life versus the amount of joy you think you currently have, a little, enough, overflowing. And I'm pretty positive what you've got blessing-wise will be pretty close to what you've got joy-wise. And if none of these eight statements in your life, I'm going to say, knowing nothing else about what's going on in your life, your joy level is going to be way down. I'm going to say if you got a few, it'll be just a little bit. You got it. It's there. It comes and goes. It's fleeting. You feel it sometimes. You lose it other times. You wake up some days, the joy of the Lord is there. Wake up other days, and it's gone. That would be the life you're living. You got more of them. It's probably enough to get you through every day, but you feel like, like just your head is above water. Like you're swimming, you're not drowning, but it's just the head. Everything else is below, submerged below the chaos of this world. You got all eight? You're going to feel like you got a life jacket. You're just like floating, like let the chaos go. I'm good. I'm just floating on the water with my little life preserver. Right? Because that's all what all eight will do for you. Where do you want to be? Okay, here we go. First one. First statement found in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First statement, the blessings of a Christian begin with their abandonment of self-righteousness. What's poor in spirit? Poor in spirit is I can't, I'm not. God is, God can. Poor in spirit is recognizing I'm not saved because of who I am. I'm not going to stay saved because of who I am. I'm not going to heaven because of what I've done. God doesn't love me because of what I've accomplished. I am poor in spirit. I am completely destitute. I am empty of all righteousness. I'm a wreck and I know it. I don't like it, but I know it. 
But I also know the wreck fixer, the problem solver, the soul buyer. Christ purchased this wreck of a soul. Christ bought my destroyed, destitute soul, empty of all good. And Christ said, I'll buy it. I'm like, buy it. You can have it for free. It's not worth anything. God's like, no, I'll buy it. Okay, let's just say a dollar and make a transaction easier. I've never done that. You want to give someone something, but to make it legal, they got to give you a dollar, and you end up just giving the dollar back anyways, right? You've done that on a large, maybe a car or something like that. I've had people do something like that. And God's like, no, no, no. Your soul is worth more than a dollar. Really? I didn't know. How much is it worth, God? God says it's worth my life. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're surely, you're, you're pulling my leg, right? Because I know my soul. And my soul's not worth anyone's life, let alone the life of my God. It's not worth his life. And God said, oh, but it is. You see, your soul has high value, but only because God placed the value on it, not because of who you are. So many people, they don't understand this truth, and they miss out on the blessing of this truth. They miss out on the blessing of recognizing we are worms. We are nothing. You say, where's the blessing in that? Isn't the blessing in thinking you're great? No, because you're living a lie. And lies don't make you great. Lies tear you down. Well, don't you feel good? You only, it, it's a false sense of security. You feel good because you lied to yourself. And then when that, that balloon is popped, all the air is gone, the feeling good goes with it. But when I know I'm not good, and when I accept God's goodness in place of my no goodness then my joy is in the goodness of God, not in the false sense of security of my goodness. Poor in spirit literally means you're broke spiritually. That's what it means. You're broke. You cannot save yourself. You cannot keep yourself saved. You cannot bring yourself to any place of righteousness before salvation or, here we go, are you ready? Or after salvation. Your spirit is broke. You're not going to pull yourself up by your shoes spiritually. And when you recognize that truth, when you believe that truth, you gain a blessing. What is the blessing? Verse 3 says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God says, when you recognize you can't, you get the blessing of I will. When you recognize you can't save yourself, the blessing is, I will save you, right? When you call on me to save you, knowing you can't save yourself, you'll be saved. But for the Christian, it goes further. When you recognize that you can't stay righteousness of your own good works, God says, I'm the one that keeps you righteous. And recognition that our righteousness is not dependent on a daily attainment or attempt at perfection, and that alone, that right there is the blessing. You don't wake up saying, man, I'm such a failure. Can I make it again today? I try so hard and I keep stumbling spiritually. Why does God love me? And you're living in constant doubt, in constant self-degradation. You just loathe yourself because you want better but can't reach it. The blessing is when you know you can't be better and God will bring it down to you. That's the blessing. The blessing is not I get to live life however I want and God will take me to heaven anyways. No, that, that's not what I'm talking about here. I am stating the blessing is 
I, no matter how I live my life, am saved by a good God. And I didn't have to climb up there for righteousness. God brought it down to me. That's the blessing. And there is joy in that understanding of how righteousness works. It's either self-righteousness, you attained it on your own, or it was righteousness given to you. And the poor in spirit recognize there is no such thing as self-righteousness. It's not a spiritual possibility. Are you blessed by that? Number two. Let's look at verse four. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You say, well, Pastor Russ, that is most certainly me. (laughs) I am always in mourning. It seems like tragedy after tragedy comes into my life. In fact, I don't know if I'm a tragic magnet. Like, I don't know why so many things happen to the people that I know. I don't know why so many things happen to the, to the environment that I find myself in. Why am I surrounded by tragedy? Okay, verse 4 doesn't just say there is tragedy. Verse 4 says there is comfort. The blessing is not the tragedy. The blessing is the comfort. Some blessings have to be discovered through tragedy. Is there real comfort when comfort is not needed? If you have children, and they're happy and jumping around, maybe they're teenagers, and they're just not jumping around, they're just smiling, having a good day. You go up and say, oh, come here, mommy loves you, and hug them, and and they're like, what are you doing? Well, mom, I'm good, I'm okay, you don't need to be like hugging all over me, right? There's no comfort needed. In fact, they'll probably, they'll probably refuse it. Like, okay, that's too much, mom. It's, is this for you? Because it's certainly not for me. Like, we need, to, we need to have a bubble here, okay? Personal space. But it's different when they're sad. It's different when a friend has ghosted them. It's different when they've lost someone or something they care about deeply. Then they, some will ask for that embrace. But whether they ask for it or not, in some way, and not all your kids are huggers, so you'll, you'll comfort them in a different way. But they'll need the comfort, they'll want the comfort, and they'll enjoy the comfort after a tragedy. You know what's really good? Have you noticed as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, that there is a bond that you could feel it growing as you're comforting someone. Have you felt that before? Like as you're with there, you're sitting next to them, hand around their shoulder, you're crying together. You just feel closer to that person than you ever have in a long time when you're comforting them, right? Not part of the problem, part of the solution. When, you're, when you walk away, you're just like, you're texting them like, oh, how you feeling? I've been thinking about you all day, praying for you. You know, your kid's like, mom, okay, I appreciate the love, but like you're texting me every five minutes, all right? I'm going to be fine, okay? Like you just feel so close. You're checking in on them. You're thinking about them all day, right? That's what comfort after tragedy results in, a stronger connection, a stronger bond. Here's how tragedy works. Tragedy basically tears something inside of you. It tears you emotionally. It tears you spiritually. Sometimes breaks you physically, right? There are different levels of tragedy that affect you in different ways. So tragedy is a tearing of something. You know what comfort is? A mending of something. You see, comfort doesn't erase the tear. Like Emily's saying with the scar, it doesn't eliminate the scar. It mends it. You are healed, but the tragedy still happened. But in the healing, you see God in a way you haven't seen him in a long time. In the comfort, you feel God and his presence in a way you haven't felt in a long time. Blessed 
are those who mourn, go through tragedy, because they get to experience the awesome comfort of an awesome God. You say, well, doesn't God comfort us all the time? We don't need to be comforted all the time. And as I already stated, it's not the same thing. But when you go through a difficult time and God comforts you, you walk away feeling closer, you walk away loving him more, and you walk away feeling him love you more. That's a blessing. And that brings you joy. Sometimes God gives us strength by increasing our joy, by giving us the blessing of comfort, by bringing us through a tragedy. But the tragedy has to happen for the comfort to be given, for the blessing to be received, for the joy to be increased, for the strength to be present. Not always. I'm glad that in the Beatitudes, this wasn't just the only one. It's only, you got to go through tragedy. That's the only way to be blessed. Tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. Blessing comes afterwards. I'm glad other blessings come in other ways. But this is one of them. And maybe this is the one you're missing. You say, Pastor Russ, this is most definitely not the one I'm missing. Always tragedy in my life at all time. That's not the blessing. The tragedy is not the blessing. It's the comfort. How's the comfort? Tragedy always in your life. Okay, are you receiving comfort equal to the tragedy? No, I'm not. Then you're not receiving the blessing. You're paying the price and not getting the meal. You're not enjoying the benefit of what you just paid for in the tragedy. Enjoy the benefit. If you're going to pay the cost, eat the food. In this case, that's comfort from God. Go to him every time, all the time. God, please comfort me. Number three, and that's found in verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So, statement three, God blesses those who refuse to bless themselves. Because what does it mean to be meek? Well, it obviously implies humility. It implies uh, not me, but you. It doesn't mean that you ignore your basic needs. It doesn't mean you don't feed yourself, or it doesn't mean you don't get enough sleep. It means that you prioritize the needs of others over your own, meaning if there's only one meal and you've got someone else who's hungry, you're like, nope, it's good. You take it. I'll eat later. And a lot of you in this room have done something exactly like that when it comes to your spouse or to your children. You ignore your needs to give the needs of others. That is what it means to be meek. Meek does not mean weak. It does not mean you let people run over you, step on you, belittle you, harass you. Meek means you're more important and your needs are more important than mine. That doesn't mean you spoil people. And it doesn't mean you let spoil people control you. You are in control of what you do for them. They are not. Because once they're in control of what you do for them, that's not meekness, that's abuse. You see the difference? Meekness is when you control what you do or don't do for them, what you give or don't give to them. That's meekness. Abuse is when they control that. Don't let them control what you do for them. Don't let anyone other than God control what you give them, even in a marriage Control in a marriage is extremely unhealthy. So don't ever justify control of another human over your life. You control it, and you say, I'm giving it to you. Now, they may think they're taking it, and in a sense, they are taking it, but only because you gave it, just like Christ. 
who as he's dying on the cross, I guarantee you the Pharisees like, we're taking his life. And Christ is like, no, you're not. I gave it to you. You see, it doesn't matter what the people think. What matters is what's true. It matters what you know. And a meek person can recognize they all think they're taking from me. They all think they're stealing from me. (laughs) I'm giving it to them, but that's all right. I'm not doing it so they know that. (laughs) I'm doing it, and it's true. I know it. That's enough. How do pastors make it through a difficult calling as ministry when everyone is constantly taking? How do Christian school teachers make it through such a difficult calling when students are constantly taking? Let me hit it home. How do moms and dads make it every day when your children keep taking and taking and taking? You will make it successfully when you give, and they only take what you give. That's when you're successful. When your kids take what you don't give, it, it literally like eats you from the inside out. It, it t- they're taking part of you. When your spouse takes from you what you don't give, you are being destroyed. And that is why a lot of pastors and a lot of teachers don't make it in ministry. They haven't learned this truth of meekness. Everyone is taking from them. They're not giving it, and it just destroys them. And they say, I can't do it anymore. And they walk away from the ministry, from marriage, from the family. Okay, don't worry about what people take. Ask yourself, what am I giving? And a meek person gives and gives and gives. And you say, Pastor Russ, you can't keep giving. There's nothing else to give after a while. Oh, you misunderstand. (laughs) I understand that there has to be a source coming in. What was the title of this morning's message? Overflow. You see, when you have so much blessing coming in, there is a never-ending opportunity to give all the time. If you only got two or three of these blessings, then I most definitely agree with you. You're running dry, and you're about to break if you haven't already because you don't have enough blessing coming in to give out. But this is one of those catch-22 things. This is one of those circular things. One is needed for the other, which is needed for the other, which is needed for the other, and it keeps going around and around and around. One of these blessings right here, as God gives you in meekness give. And as you in meekness give, God continues to give. And one feeds the other. But when you stop giving, you stop receiving this blessing and you start drying out. Be meek. Give. Don't let it bother you that people think they're taking. Know what is true. You are giving. Statement number four. Found in verse number six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Statement four. Those who recognize the emptiness of this life find blessing in a spirit-filled life. I love this one. I love it because this one hits so close to my story. How about yours? Did you get to a point, hopefully sooner than later in your life, where you recognize, wow, The world is a lie. Like, everything they offer is ash in my mouth. They they put it in candy wrapping, but it tastes like dirt. Right? And then when when you're stupid enough to actually swallow it, it literally, like, agonizes. Not just your stomach. Your soul is in agony from eating this candy-wrapped trash that the world gives you. Like, yeah. I've tried it, and it's really, really bad. 
Okay. Now the world keeps telling you, no, that's just your taste buds. You got to get used to it. It's really good if you keep eating. You're like, really? Okay, I'll keep trying it. Ugh, I force it down. Till eventually, you do get immune to the taste of it. But your body never gets immune to the effects of it. And your soul's in agony. Uh, the best you can do is no longer taste the nastiness as it's going down. But whatever the world gives you, it's going to bother your soul. It's going to affect your soul. Have you got to the point where you recognize that? And you say, okay, like, it's not even a hard decision anymore. Like, the world is just a non-option for me. So then what's left? Well, I can't have the world, so I'm going to choose myself. I'm going to just, you know, feed off of myself. I, you know, does it really work that way? Well, I'm going to sure try. You know, it's me against the world. I'm not going to embrace the world. I'm not going to feed off the world. I'm my own man. I'm a lone wolf. Well, good luck with that. Because essentially, it's the same thing in a different candy wrapper. Because there is only two sides. There is the world and there is God. And if you are not with God, however else the candy or the dirt is wrapped in candy wrapper, it is the world. Whether it's you or religion or the outright world, you know, full-fledged, whatever they got to offer, it's all the world. The only other choice is God. And, it's, and that's not going to be found in you. You're not God. God is the only other choice. And those who hunger and thirst after the righteousness God offers, we've already stated, right? Broke spiritually, broke in your soul. This is not righteousness you can buy, earn, or attain on your own. It is only righteousness that you can receive given to you freely from God. So when you hunger and thirst after God and the righteousness he wants to give you, guess what is the blessing? Fulfillment. You know what's a great blessing for the human, human heart, the human condition? Is feeling fulfilled. Feeling a strong purpose every day that doesn't leave you. Feeling like there is something in your life that matters, that you're not lying to yourself about, you know, you know this is the truth, and you know this matters, and you know this is worth fighting for, and you know this is worth living for, and everything you do has purpose because of this fulfillment. That is this blessing right here. God says, I want to give you purpose. I want to fill your heart with, with, with purpose. I want to give your mind something to fight for that really makes a difference, and you see the impact. But it begins... When you choose truth over lies. It begins when you embrace God's righteousness over the world's offer of self-righteousness. So, you feeling empty? Well, then you must not be seeking God's righteousness because you can't be empty when you sit at God's table. When God is preparing a meal, you will walk away full, I guarantee it. So either you're not at the table or you didn't eat. It's time to go to the table. God's table. And it's time to just stop being a bystander and saying, oh, I'll wait for dessert. I'll, I'll eat next time. You got some crackers I can have while everyone is having a feast? No, it's time to start eating what God is serving. And you will be full. And that blessing will result in joy, and that joy will in turn bring strength. Statement number five. Reflecting God's mercy to others 
brings the blessing of God's mercy to us. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall see mercy. When we, like that other statement, when we are meek and we give, we receive from God. It's the same idea this time with mercy. The other one with meekness was giving yourself, giving your time, giving you know, financial help. Uh, it's a variety of ways that meekness plays out where you're assisting someone else and placing them first. This one is pretty much like a singular focus. It is you are merciful to people. They've wronged you, you're merciful. They've hurt you, you're merciful. They backstab you, you're merciful. Now let me explain something. Mercy is not enabling. Mercy does not mean you keep letting them hurt you. Mercy means, all right, you know what? I've learned I can't trust anymore. I'm not gonna give you the chance to keep hurting me, but on my way out the door, as I end this relationship, I'm going to do so in a merciful way that does not cause you harm in return. I'm not saying that mercy requires you to stay in an abusive relationship. No, it doesn't. Mercy would say as you exit the abusive relationship, you don't knock them on the ground, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, on your way out. You take the high road. You say, look, you hurt me. I can't trust you. We can't continue being friends if I can't trust you and you keep hurting me. But I love you truly. I wish you the best truly. And if you get to a point where you'd like to be successful in your relationships, if you get to a point where you'd like to see some change, you got my number and I'll pick up. But I warn you, if I pick up, you need to be able to convince me <laughs> you want something different because I'm not going to continue the same way we have been. That's mercy. You keep them from abusing you and others. You do not enable them, but you don't beat them up on your way down, on your way out. And as you show mercy to others, God shows mercy to you. This is one, in my opinion, one of the greatest blessings. Right up there, I think, with the righteousness, feeling, feeling with righteousness and feeling uh, fulfilled and having purpose and knowing that, that, there is, that God has a, a plan in your life, that, that's a great one. This one, right up there, mercy. Why? Because I need it a whole lot. I need mercy more than you know, and you need more, mercy more than I know. Why? Because we don't truly know each other's hearts, nor do I want to. I'm not God. I don't need to. I don't want that burden of knowing your heart, and I don't want to put the burden of you knowing my heart on your shoulders. It's not necessary. I can tell you this. I need God's mercy. And the blessing of God's constant mercy in my life brings me joy, constant joy. As I reflect on what I deserve versus what God gives me, I just smile, and I just like, man, I'm so happy that God doesn't give me what I deserve. I'm so glad that life's not fair, because if it was, I'd have been dead long ago. I'm so glad that God is not fair because if he was, I would not be a pastor. I am so glad that God chose mercy over fairness. I chuckle when teenagers saying, that's not fair. I'm thinking, you don't want fair. Fair is worse than what you're getting, all right? In every way, fair is worse. You don't want it. I want mercy. So stop acting like teenagers. Stop acting like children and asking God to be fair and say, you know what? I don't want fairness, God. I want mercy. God says, you can have it when you give it. Now, this verse is not referring to salvation mercy. It's not referring to God will save you if you are merciful. That's free. All you got to do is turn to God in faith. This is talking about mercy in your life on this earth, day to day, God withholding 
the chaos and consequence of our bad choices, God withholding that and letting us find success another way than through the consequences of our own bad choices. That's mercy in the life of a believer. God says, I can get you to success through judgment, through consequence, or I can get you to success through mercy. Which path do you want? Hmm, let me think about it. I choose the mercy path. God says, deal. No problem. Let's do it. Now, you taking that path, you got to give it to get it. You want the mercy path towards success, not towards salvation. That's free. You want the mercy path towards success in this life? Then give mercy on that path towards others. Well, God, they're not taking the mercy path. Why should I give it to them? That's why it's called mercy. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. You don't give mercy to people who deserve it. You give it to people who don't deserve it. Those who have hurt you the most deserve the most mercy, need the most mercy, should be given the most mercy. And I promise you, I promise you because God promises. The more you give, the more you get. And we need a lot. I'm not saying you should say like, thank you, God, this person really hurt me so I can give them a lot of mercy so I get more mercy. I'm not saying you think like that, but you almost do. There's a side of you that's almost like, you know what? I was really, really hurt by this person, but it's an opportunity for me to show mercy to someone like God, knowing that God's going to return it back to me, return mercy to me in ways that I need desperately. The blessing of mercy in your life. Statement six, Christians who seek God are blessed to find him. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? It does not mean self-righteous. We already see that from verse 3. Yeah, you broke spiritually. It does not mean perfect. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us you cannot be perfect. So when it says pure in heart, it means you are doing your best with God's power and strength to eliminate the things from your life that distract you and turn you from God. There will always be things that distract you and turn you from God, which means you will always be seeking purification. You will always be going back to, all right, got to eliminate that again. Okay, I need to, I need to rein that in. Okay, I got to rethink this. Always, you will always be doing that. And as you always consider, is my life heading towards God or away from God? And as you head towards God, you will find God. The Bible tells us, draw an eye to God and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Which implies in that text in James that as we purify our hearts, does not mean self-righteousness, does not mean perfection, it means as we eliminate those things that distract us and separate us from God, as we get them out of our life, and as we do so, getting closer to God, God is running closer to us. You say, Pastor Russ, where in the Bible does it say God is running? Well, I see an illustration of the prodigal son, and that dad was running to his son. And that dad illustrated our God. As we are walking to God, God is running to us. You don't need to be perfect before you reach God. You never will. But you do need to be actively, repentively, separating the distractions and the rebellion in your heart and life and walk to God, sometimes crawl to God. And as you do so, you have the blessing of finding him. God 
is not running from you. God is running towards you. You ever play tag with your kids when they're little? And you're like, I'm going to get you. And you chase them. And they're like, ah! And they start running from you. And you're chasing them around the house, right? That's not God. God's not laughing, looking behind him as he's running from you. Hi, you know, try to catch me. No, God is running to you. That's a blessing. Statement number seven. When we strive for peace, we are blessed with appreciation. Verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You know what is the one of the causes of so many broken relationships, whether it is marriage, friendship, family, parent to child, sibling to sibling? It is, can you guess? Conflict. Conflict arises from different things, financial, um, emotional. It could be a, an action was done that was, that was not appreciated, was offensive. So many things can cause conflict. Okay, that's just a part of the human condition. That's a part of being around people. There will always be potentially something that bothers someone, always. A wise person will recognize that if I live with people, there will always potentially be problems, but I will constantly seek peace. All right, so there's, there's one group of people that no matter what happens, they're always seeking to be right. That usually does not result in peace. It usually results in more chaos. Their goal is to be right every time. Okay. Then there is someone who's in this group. They're always looking to eliminate the conflict. It's not necessarily looking for peace. They're looking for just elimination. They may do that by pretending it didn't happen. Oh, I didn't see it. What are you talking about? You want to talk about it? No, I don't want to talk about it. Talk about what? What are you talking about? I'm not even sure what you mean. Right? They're not looking for peace. They, just, they want to avoid. It's avoidance. All right, so there's one that's always looking to be right. There's one that's always looking to avoid, to, to walk away from, to not address or confront the real issue, which, by the way, may result in peace verbally, like there's no screaming and yelling if you walk away. But you know what's not at peace when you do that? The heart. The other person is going to bed, like, frustrated, like, why won't they talk to me about this? Why can't we talk through this? Like, ah, and you're over there, oh, I'm, we're at peace, everything's good, and they're over there stewing till 3 in the morning. So you think you're reaching peace by avoidance. You are not. You are causing chaos in their heart, just not verbally because you won't let them talk. And so you think we're good. They're not good. Your spouse isn't good. Your kids aren't good. Your brother or sister isn't good. Your parents aren't good. You avoiding them does not bring peace. You see, peace is not just a lack of yelling. Peace is an emotional and spiritual state of being. So that's the other option. Which one are you? Are you the I'm always right? The avoidance, by the way, the avoidance could just be, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. Okay, let's go. We're done. Okay, I shouldn't have done that. Let's go. You're, you're right. It's not so, so you're willing to talk, but it's always just admit you're wrong just to stop the conversation. That's still avoidance. There's, the, the other person's not that stupid. They're like, okay, I know I'm kind of wrong. You're just admitting that you're wrong all the time. Now that makes me even more angry, right? Okay, peace this is the group you want to be in. You are not just looking that people stop yelling at each other. You are looking for a peace of the soul in the sense of a peaceful, emotional state of being, a peaceful, spiritual state of being. That's what you want to seek. And by the way, sometimes that requires conversation, confrontation. But you're, you're having the conversation. You're allowing the confrontation to reach a peace of heart, a peace of emotional state of being. 
this is where you want to get. So whatever you say, and however you say it, and whenever you say it, is not to be right, is not to avoid, but to attain peace in the home. Peace in your relationship. Peace in your own life. So that when people walk away, sometimes they'll walk away saying, I still disagree. That's okay. But we're good, right? We're good. You know what the beautiful thing about peace is? You don't have to agree with someone to be at peace with them. I know that from firsthand. <laughs> There's many people I've disagreed with, but I'm, I'm at peace with them. I'm okay with them. And there's people who've disagreed with me, and we're good. Do not think that peace is total agreement on everything. Peace is a state of being you can attain even when you disagree. Because a peacemaker isn't so much about let's agree on everything, but, so, but more of let me hear you, you hear me, what decisions have to be made, what decisions don't have to be made, and let's reach peace, unity together. And what's the blessing of that? Respect, sure. Appreciation. People will see you and say, now there's someone that reflects God. I appreciate that about them. I appreciate that I can trust them, respect them. I can hear them. They're wise. They're not prideful. I appreciate them. Something a lot of us lack. We don't know how much we lack it. We don't feel appreciated. Could be because you're not appreciated. Because very few people appreciate the person that always wants to be right. And only for a short time do people appreciate avoidance. They will to a point. And then eventually it will be that very thing they once appreciated that will drive them crazy about you. When they first started dating you, marrying you, befriending you, it was that thing that drew them to you. Oh, like you're just so chill. Like nothing bothers you. Wow, I need more of that in my life. Until there's things that bother you and they walk away from you. It's like, I don't need more of that in my life. Can we have a conversation, please? Can we find peace together, please? This is only a temporary good thing, the avoidance. The real answer, every time, all the time, peace. Last statement, and we're done. An overflow of blessing in our life. Number eight, not all blessings are earthly. Verse 10 and 11, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's eternity. Verse 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, eternity. Your overflow of blessings up to this point have all been something you get to experience now, which is great. I'm glad seven of the eight are the now blessings. That's good. But one of them, of the eight, the final one, and by the way, the final one has multiple verses attached to it. All the others was just one verse, one blessing, one verse, one blessing. This one, this is the future blessing and multiple verses because it's such an awesome blessing. God says, your overflow of blessing includes what's coming. How many of you, don't raise your hand, just kind of think about this. How many of you, the best part about vacation is the planning. Not because 
you know, it can be hard to plan, but the excitement of it, right? Like, oh, this is going to be so great. In your head, you think about how it's going to be. And then you go on vacation, like, that was nothing like I thought it would be. Like, it, the planning was more fun than being here, right? Okay, so the planning, the, the anticipation, the joy of buying this stuff. Like, we're going to go to Disney, and you're buying Mickey ears. And we're going we're gonna to go, uh, you know, uh, to Ireland, and you're buying, you know, a green shirt. I don't know what you're doing. Whatever. You're buying stuff in anticipation of this. And it's like every time, every time a package arrives from Amazon, a piece of vacation just arrived, right? Like, oh, yeah, here we go. Here we go. And then you get in your, your luggage in the car. You show up at the airport. And there's a long, like, we're not going. We're not going to make the luggage. Oh, quick, run to the plane. And you get to the plane, and you're huffing and puffing, and the kid behind you is kicking your seat like, this is not what I envisioned. And you show up, and the room isn't nearly what the pictures portrayed online. And the people are not nearly as kind as the smiling faces. And the food is McDonald's quality. Well, I can tell you this. There are two truths when it comes to this. The anticipation is awesome for heaven, and everything about heaven is way better than whatever you anticipate, okay? You're not getting the McDonald's quality food. I can guarantee you that. And the service with the smile is, like, guaranteed, okay? We're talking Chick-fil-A, my pleasure service with a smile in heaven, okay? It's going to be good, folks. So not only do you get to enjoy that blessing, but right now, what, so, but how does that help me now with the overflow now? I just told you. The anticipation itself can be the blessing. Every time we come to church, it's like a little piece of heaven just arrived at our door. Every time we hear a radio station and someone preaches a great message, you're like, oh, that was exactly what I needed. It's like Amazon arrived at the package. Oh, I know it's coming. It's going to be here soon. Oh, man, I'm excited. Woo! And so the anticipation of that blessing overflows even now before you even get it. What is the hardest part about vacation? Coming back. (laughs) Unless you just read a really bad choice on your vacation decision, okay? It's usually coming back. You don't have to come back. Once we go to heaven, there is no coming back. We're not coming back to this cursed world in our cursed state. We get the overflow of anticipation, and then we're there, it is eternal. You say, Pastor Russ, I mean, that blessing I guess I've always had. Did you know that you had it? Because sometimes, occasionally my wife and I, and I'll end with this story, on the wife and I, we want to surprise our kids so we don't tell them about the vacation. We used to, when they were younger, because we didn't want them asking every day, is vacation today? No, it's literally six months from now. Okay, the next day, is it today? I, no, it's now five months and 30 days from now, okay? Is it today? No, we're down to five months and 20, and like we do this thing. So sometimes you do that just out of self-preservation, to not tell people, right? The kids are going on vacation, they just don't know it, so they don't benefit from the anticipation of it. You say, well, I know I'm going to heaven. Yes, but do you think about the fact that you're going to heaven? Because you are going to heaven if you're saved. But if you want to benefit from the blessing of it, you need to know the anticipation of it, which means consider daily, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> what? Okay, so this world's rough, hard. All right, let's see what we can do to get through this in strength, but I'm going to heaven. Okay, so the politics are crazy and, and leaders are crazy and followers are crazy. Well, all right, do what I can, but I'm going to heaven. Like, you know, this is not my home. I'm a pilgrim passing through. And the anticipation of that future home is a blessing. As the pianist comes to play, of these eight blessings, 
How many of them have you truly embraced? Not just you knew academically, not just like, I'm aware, okay, I knew that blessing, I knew that blessing, I know. I don't care what you know. I'm asking what you've embraced. And do the embracing of these blessings match the joy that comes with them? If not, something's not working. And I'm pretty sure it's God, not God's fault. I'm pretty sure it's your fault. You may think you've embraced the blessing. You haven't really. So start embracing all eight. And when you do, I promise you, the joy that comes with it will overflow your life. And you will be able to give and give and give. And you won't run dry. Because God will give you more than you could ever give back to him. From your seat, I'd like to ask you to pray. Maybe there's a particular blessing that stuck out to you. Maybe there's a few. Ask God to give you the strength, the courage, the wisdom to embrace that blessing, to bring it into your life so you can find strength in his joy.